Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen and amen. Uh, Verse number 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. If you think something might be wrong, abstain. If you have any reasonable doubt that something might be evil, what do you do? Abstain. That's why the Bible tells us abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain. Abstinence is a long lost art. We can dramatically drop the teenage pregnancy rate overnight. If the schools would start teaching abstinence, you abstain. That's why, boys and girls, you don't. Well, what's wrong with holding hands? You need to abstain. Young people get involved with, well, what's wrong with hugging? You should abstain. What's wrong with kissing? You should abstain. Why? It has the appearance. It appears evil and it can develop into something much, much worse. You know, the Bible sums it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. And this idea that I can handle it, you can't handle it. You can't handle it. That's why God gives us a very, very plain verse so that we can read it, believe it, and easily understand it so that we can obey it. Boys, when you grow up, girls, when you grow up, you're going to end up, boys are going to end up liking a girl because that's the way God put it. And girls are going to end up liking a guy because that's the way God God made you. And um, this whole idea of boys liking boys and girls liking boys, girls liking girls, it's just just of the devil. Mm -hmm. And they've confused children and they want to continue to confuse children. And unfortunately, adults are confused. Yeah. So. We need to be a church that isn't confused. Right. <laughs> it's, it's pretty simple. And if you grew up on a farm, you don't even really need the Bible. You just look at God's creation and you can kind of figure out. You don't see two chickens walking arm in arm. You don't see two roosters walking arm in arm, rather. Yeah. Uh, abstain from the appearance of evil. Abstinence is a long lost art. Mommies and daddies, that's that's when you do hugging. That's when you do kissing. That's when you do hand-holding. And, you know, as, as married folks, your children need to see that. They need to see that model so that they're not confused. They see when it's appropriate, when you're married. You get married, you're just going to be, you're going to end up, boys, you're going to grow up, and then one day, wow, that's God's will for my life. And then when you get married, then you can hold hands. Then you can do the hugging and all that kind of stuff. 
girls, any boy tries to do any hand holding, any of that kind of stuff before you're married, no. You kick him in the shin and you move on. Say no. No, it's not right. Wait till you're married. Then you, then you can do all the whole hand holding that you want. Uh, abstain from all appearance of evil. Another a damage of our day has been the internet. The preachers of yesteryear used to preach against the television. But, I mean, you, you're, those sermons will still preach, but the problem has become the internet and the phones that are computers. We need to be really careful. You can, you can have all of your doctrine right. You can know a lot of stuff about the Bible. You can read your devotionals. You can do all the stuff that we're supposed to do as Christians. But if your eyes are burned out by looking at smut online, it's not a good testimony. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And just abstain. Abstain. Uh, get Proverbs chapter 23. This is a popular passage of scripture. Children, you should look at this many times growing up so that you are not confused on the matter. Proverbs chapter 23. Verse number 31, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent. You know who the serpent is, huh? <laughs> yeah, that old serpent, the devil, and stingeth like an adder. Don't even look at the stuff. If you're in the if you're going to the grocery store and you know that the one aisle is the liquor aisle. That's the devil's brew. Do your best to find another aisle to go down. Do your best that if you are forced to, if you've got to go down that aisle, do your best to not even draw your eyes to the attention of it. Christians shouldn't have any interest in any of that. Abstain from all appearance of evil. There's nothing worse for a Christian testimony than to have Christians running around buying and drinking and selling liquor. It's the devil's brew. Nothing good ever comes out of it. Any family that has been affected by liquor, it has never turned out well, and it never will turn out well. It's not good. It's not right. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Right. Unfortunately, we're not getting much help these days from the so-called preachers. And I say so-called because instead of preaching against alcohol, they actually promote it. This uh, this fake wannabe preacher, Mark Driscoll, he ran this Mars Hills church, which I think I think the thing went under was a bunch of scandal. Yeah. But they promoted it. They had beer brewing lessons, believe it or not. It ought not be for a Christian, let alone in a church. And that man's going to face God someday. We need to be 100 percent against strong drink. Mm -hmm. It's not for the Christian. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Not a wise thing at all. Stay away from it. Don't look at it. It's the old serpent coming out of that bottle that will bite you. Nothing good will ever come from it. Let's get Romans chapter 14. Here's the cry. Cry for liberty. Romans chapter 14. Look at verse number 13. Everybody cries liberty, liberty, liberty. Verse number 13 in Romans chapter 14. 
Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. If you think it could cause your brother or sister to fall, abstain. Do without. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus, that's somebody good to be persuaded by, that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably? Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. There's nothing wrong with eating meat. Nothing. If you see somebody's going to be stumbling over something like something as trivial as that, you can abstain for his sake. For his sake. Why? Because the kingdom of God, which is within, it's not about meat and drink. It's about righteousness. For he that is in these things, serveth Christ, is acceptable to God and approved for God. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended, or is made weak. We're not going verse by verse by that with, with this tonight, but is liberty you and I's ultimate goal as a Christian? Or is a Christian testimony our ultimate goal as a Christian? Testimony is more important than crying from the balcony, liberty, liberty, liberty. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. It's the libertarian cry. We should be more concerned with our Christian testimony as our ultimate goal. It'll help a lot of weaker brothers and weaker sisters. Just abstain just to help a brother out. Okay. First Thessalonians 5. Let's go back there and look at verse number 23. Let's get um, let's get all these verses right now. Genesis 1. Genesis 1. James 3. Genesis 1, James 3. And 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll read that first, and you should have your finger in Genesis 1, James 3, and 1 Corinthians 11. Now, verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. We lost the moral image when Adam and Eve sinned. We call that the fall of man. Look back in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. So God, uh, let, uh, verse 26, and God said, uh, Genesis 1, 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You see that? Pretty simple and very familiar. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Is anyone confused about how God created? No. God made a male and he made a female. That would be a boy and a girl. How many genders are there? Two. Two. A male and a female. That's very simple. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. That During the fall, we lost the moral image. We're not pure. We're not holy. We're not righteous. And that was the fall of man. Look at James 3. And in verse number 9, James 3 verse 9. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. That's the likeness of God. We still retain that likeness, that physical likeness. Um, look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Verse 7, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head. For as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. Man, is, man fell, but he still retains the image of God. And it's not because he's holy or he's pure or he's righteous. We get God's imputed righteousness after we get saved. But God gave man what? God gave man dominion. God gave man superiority. If you run a farm, your sheep aren't going to put you and lock you in a fence. Right? Your chickens aren't going to put you in the chicken coop. You have dominion over them and you contain them. Um, but in look, at, look at verse 7. Maybe we can draw some things out of here. And glory of God. For as much as he is the image and glory of God. You know what your reputation should reflect? God. That's us representing him. And we can see some of this here. We want to take dominion even in our appearance and our attire. Which this whole idea of appearance and attire, it is not been retained in this world it has been completely removed when you see woman is the glory of the man what does that mean she's made for him she was taken from him for him because he needed some help a help meet for him she's the honor of the man 
and all of her beauty, all of her loveliness should be an expression of his honor and his respect and his dignity. And God makes a distinction here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As we look at verse number seven, he makes a distinction between the man and the woman. Man, his full goal should be to reflect the character of God and give glory to God. The woman is the glory of the man. Taken from man to help man out. We needed some help. And everything she does tries to express his honor. This world is completely and entirely, 100% has flipped that idea on its head. You can't turn on the news media. You can't go to school. You can't go anywhere without getting a different doctrine about this. God's clear on his on his distinction and this idea of the image is seen in Christians in their appearance and in their attire. There's nothing wrong with that. It's right. It's right. It's not legalism. It's godlyism. You want to do something that you want to be in God's image. The image of God created them. Look at verse 24. First Thessalonians. Oh, verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you. Who also will do it. Don't bank on your faithfulness. Bank on God's faithfulness. He's a faithful God and he saved you. And he will be faithful in keeping you. You think God is powerful enough to save you? But all of a sudden, you know, some of the power charge went off and the battery kind of drained out. He's not powerful enough to keep that which he had saved. Uh, why would you put trust in that type of God? Right. You wouldn't. You wouldn't do that in anything else in life. Yet a lot of these doctrines are coming into or in, they've been in denominations where, well, you bet you be very careful. You can lose it. My God hasn't lost any faithfulness. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, he is faithful and he will keep you. All of it depends on his faithfulness. He loses a battery charge and we got to def defend on our depend on our faithfulness. OK, then I'll buy. We can lose our salvation. But God ain't losing power. Right. He's 100 percent faithful, being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Until the day of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You can bank on it. If you've trusted Christ as your savior. His faithfulness will keep you. You don't have to worry about. Losing one pinky toe. Amen. When it comes to your salvation. Yeah. There's some things you can lose. But you can't lose your salvation. Amen. You can lose your car keys quite a bit. When you're a chronic multitasker. But no reason to go down that route. No. A pastor gave a challenge to one of his members regarding their ground of confidence in the Lord. And so he asked this church member, what would you say if after all God has done for you, God should let you drop into hell? The member responded, 
God can do as he likes, but if he does, he'll lose more than I'll lose. And when he first heard this, and the first hearing of this, the answer seems highly disrespectful and irreverent, if not blasphemous. <laughs> but if his word were to be broken, if his faithfulness should fail, if that foundation could be destroyed, truly God would lose more than his trusting child. And that could never be. Because God isn't going to lie. He is not going to break his word. He is not going to break his faithfulness. So in other words, how would God lose more? His whole character would be destroyed if that were to happen. If God saved you, you can count on it. You can bank on it that he's got more to lose than you and I do. And God isn't about to give up glory to any doctrine or false thinking. He will 100% keep you. Psalm 119 says, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. What is your highest priority in life? If I were to ask you young people tonight to write down your five highest priorities, what would they be? Would one of them be to commune with God and have a real relationship with him? That should be up there at number one. Because this is where real rest comes from. You know, they had this, <laughs> thinking of a joke, the young and the senseless, all these soap operas that the women used to watch or probably still do watch, they were young and restless. People just restless. They're always restless. There's nothing they can find peace in. But you can find rest in the Lord if you've got a true communing fellowship with him. Do you think you're going to avoid problems in life? None of us will. If we have true fellowship with the Lord, it's going to make that a lot easier because we're finding rest in him. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be restless in our soul and our spirit. We have the Lord. Here's a thought that I had. We tend to find ways to insulate ourselves from God. Create a wall. We all have different walls that we put up as ways to kind of get away from God or communing with him. But God is the heart of the relationship. You cut the heart out, you don't live. You're going to die. And spiritually, you will. You won't have that fellowship we be broken. That's one. You want to know something you can lose? That. Yeah. You don't want to have broken fellowship with the Lord. You'll die inside. Now, it's not an eternal death. It's not a when you die, you're going to go to hell type thing. It's just right down here on earth. It'll be hell on earth without the Lord. For a Christian, he won't be settled if he breaks fellowship with God. All right, look at verse 25 in 1 Thessalonians. The Bible says, brethren, pray for us. We parked quite a bit on that before, so I'm not going to spend too much time on here. Um, we looked at verse number 17, and we did a whole sermon on that two Thursdays ago, I believe. Or Sundays ago, I can't remember, but it says pray without ceasing. That's a positive command that God gives us. We're good at uh, independent Baptists are good at slamming all the negatives. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Uh, but God gives us some good commands. One of them is prayer. It's needed. 
That's why we have prayer requests. We request prayer. Prayers are expected to come. God expects that from his people. And prayers prepare you to have an advantage to do what? Serve God. They're needed. They're requested. They're expected. And they prepare you to have an advantage. Brethren, pray for us. The Bible says in Luke 22, rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. I'd like to tie that in real quick with abstain from all appearance of evil that we looked at in verse number 22. You want to get good at abstaining from evil? Brethren, pray for us. A lot of our prayer requests are physical in nature. And we need those. People suffer physically. But some of our prayer requests should be, brethren, pray for us. Help me abstain from all appearance of evil. We should pray for the spiritual more than just the physical. Amen? Amen. Amen. Verse 26 in 1 Thessalonians. Look at this. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. Well, we just talked about some of this stuff, abstaining from all appearance of evil. We gave it the world's definition. But there's nothing worldly or sinful or unrighteous about this. It's considered the kiss of charity. In those days, it was equivalent to the shaking of hands. It's a token of friendship. It's right for uh, a young, uh, you know, children. They're going to hug and kiss on their parents and their grandparents. And, and all that is appropriate. But this, this holy kiss was considered a... Goodwill, a welcoming. And this perverted world, when they go to the Bible and they read the Bible, they like to pervert verses. But there's nothing perverted about this. It's completely holy. But it's a, just a form of greeting. And throughout the ages, greetings change. We shake hands. If you go to an Asian country, they would bow. Now, some of them bow down to idols, but that happens here in America, too. But... You take the bowing down to idols, they wouldn't greet with a handshake. If you tried to greet somebody, we were in Korea, South Korea in 1995, you, we were told certain things not to do. One of them was don't extend your hand to shake their hand. That would be considered very disrespectful. Very disrespectful. It's, it's, it's a head nod. It's a, it's a bow. That's their way to greet. And you, you, you were to take your shoes off before you went into a restaurant. If you walked with your shoes on, you would have highly offended those, those people, highly offended. So we were told a bunch of those types of things not to do. Greetings may change from age to age. Greetings may change from country to country, these customs. But what doesn't change, that spirit of charity and that spirit of brotherly love should be there. And this extension of goodwill should continue to be manifest. Look at verse number 27. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. I'm thankful that you're here. I really am. It's a blessing to have kids sitting in the front row, and it's a blessing to have a handful of folks come back on Thursday afternoon. It really is. And it's increasingly harder and harder and harder to try to 
do a work for the Lord when it comes to gathering people at a church house to learn his word, because by and large, a lot of churches, they've just thrown the Bible out. And the biggest ones in every single town in America seem to be the ones that can give a very good heartwarming hallmark story. And I understand stories if they tie into God's word. I understand analogies when they tie into God's word. I, I gave a few this morning and I gave a few for this sermon. But to purposefully leave out the reading of God's word and the study of God's word is wrong. Yeah, It's absolutely wrong and it hurts the brethren. It hurts the cause of Christ. Yeah. And that's why he says, I charge you by the Lord. That this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. And it's funny it says to all the holy brethren because the so-called holy Roman Catholic Church, the so-called holy mother church, is the church that doesn't want people being read the Bible. <laughs> you don't go into a Roman Catholic church and get a Bible. You get a missile, a missalette, you get something that you're going to follow for the order. And the priest might say a few words but you're not encouraged to read the bible and they will not read the bible openly to you they want to hide it from you all of it is abracadabra we're going to hide shift and make you get all with all our religion there's a lot to all about i mean those buildings are beautiful uh, gorgeous 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 artwork and you know what's missing? The reading of God's word. God wants his people hear his word. Would be to God, we should always be a church where the reading and teaching and preaching of God's word is prominent. We're going to do a VBS the first time, a Bible, one day Bible camp this Saturday. We want to have fun with the kids. We want them to come and have a good time and do games and crafts and, and all of that and sing. But if we leave out the teaching and the reading of God's word, we've given those kids a good time, but we've not given them any eternal perspective. Right. What our young people today are missing is the reading of God's word. We want to pray that God would send us laborers and that we would always be a church. Where God's word takes the preeminence. The preeminence. Amen. Here's a couple of examples. Let's do two Old Testament examples and we'll do a New Testament example. I just want to show, uh, let's go to Joshua. All the way back in the Old Testament, after Deuteronomy, we'll come to the book of Joshua. Right before Judges, and we'll be in chapter number eight. I believe this is the principle we see all throughout the Bible. Joshua 8:33. And all Israel and their elders and officers and their judges, verse 33 in Joshua 8, stood on this side of the ark and on that side before the priests, the Levites which bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord as well, the stranger, as he that was born among them. 
half of them over against Mount Gerizim and half of them over against Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before, that they should bless the people of Israel. Anybody want to guess how they were blessed? Read verse 34. And afterward, he read all the words of the law. He read them the word of God. The blessings and cursings. In other words, he didn't leave anything out. <laughs> According to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers that walked. That's a, putting these two words together are tough because you don't read them all the time. That were conver, conversant among them, that were conversant among them. Isn't that interesting? Even the nation, they had the women the little ones, I'm assuming the strangers were the visitors. <laughs> they had everybody getting God's word, the blessings and the cursings. And it says, all, not a word of all that Moses, they didn't leave out a word. They taught all the counsel of God in other words. We should be a church that's like that. We don't leave out one thing because we're afraid of another. God's people need to hear all of God's word. Now, when we started off the message, of course, I would preach that differently to an audience of just adults. So you need to be in tune to your audience. Children need to be taught simple things so they can understand and then have parents fill in the blanks on some of these issues at their discretion. But we shouldn't shy away from teaching the Bible because it's going to offend somebody. But at the same time, we need to be in tune to where someone is at in their walk with the Lord and in their age category, too. All right, let's go back to Deuteronomy 31. Let's do one more Old Testament example. Deuteronomy 31, verse number 12. Gather the people together. Men and women and children and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law. There it again. Observe to do all the words. You see it. What do they want to do? All the words. All the words. They got to hear it. They got to learn it. They got to fear the Lord. And then they can observe all that they've read. That's a biblical pattern. Second Timothy 1. Second Timothy 1. Second Timothy 1 verse number 5. Look at this. When I call a remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee that dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois. And thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that in thee also. Timothy's grandmother knew the Lord, read the word. The Bible must be read. Mm -hmm. 
can read children's stories about the Bible. That's good. You can read children's stories that are just good stories. But if it's at the expense of not reading them the word of God, we're wrong. We're out of balance. We need to be able to read to them the word. They need to hear the Bible. That's where the aliveness of a church comes from. That's where the enthusiasm of a church comes from. It should be from the reading and the proclamation and the understanding of wanting to do all that God asks us to do in his word. That's where our aliveness comes from. Okay, last verse, and we'll close out. First Thessalonians. We will we will be taking a break from we'll come back to Second Thessalonians and do that at another time. We got our last verse. Last verse. It closes how it began. Let's go back to the whole, the, the, the very beginning of the epistle. 1-1. One, one. Watch what it says. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch what it says at the end. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. It closes how it began. Grace flows from who? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our pardon, our peace, our holiness, all flows from our Lord Jesus Christ and the grace that he bestowed upon us. And all of that has been made plain through the beginning, verse 1-1, to the end, verse 528, and all in between. All made plain, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.